1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thank you, Carl. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The great rate debate what's next for stocks as the 10-year yield hits its highest level in 16 years our investment committee is standing by to debate joining us for the hour we got downtown josh brown shannon sakosha joe terranova and bill baruch but first let's get a check on the market at noon eastern we've seen a bit of a reversal in the markets the dow off of its lows still fractionally lower however the s p the nasdaq moving into positive territory uh, both up just about a quarter of a percent not shown here important to note The small caps, the most interest rate-sensitive indice, uh, up the highest right now, up a third of a percent. The 10-year yield back above 4.5% at 4.52. And really, that's where we got to pick up this conversation, Joe. Rate pressure on the market, is that the only thing weighing on the market right now in your mind?
2: Well, the macro overall is certainly weighing on the market as you move to the end of the quarter. And there's the seasonality of this quarter, which in fact has been very accurate. So it is the combination of student loan implementation uh, on October 1st, the potential on the government shutdown, obviously yields and the dollar moving higher. And in the last couple of weeks, it's been oil. Collectively, that's broken the sentiment, but I don't think what it has done it has uh, broken the overall trend for the market in 2023. And I think that's where you have to be really careful because I think a lot of times people see the macro and they see the deterioration in the macro like we've had over the last week uh, coming out of the Federal Reserve. And they say, okay, we're gonna position based on the macro. And I think it is the complete opposite that you need to be thinking about doing right now in this market. And today is representative of that. I don't think you position surrounding the macro. I think what you do is you think about the idiosyncratic stock stories. I think you think about the idiosyncratic asset class stories. You go bottoms up here and look at energy today. The XLE is up 1%. Oil prices are down. I still have high conviction that energy is in a secular bull market look at technology, in particular quality technology, mega caps, those are moving higher. Again, that's where I have confidence that they'll be able to overcome a higher for longer interest rate environment. So I just urge everyone, don't focus on trying to trade the macro. Go bottoms up. That's where you're going to find the opportunities in what is a difficult
1: marketplace for sure. All right, Bill. We are just showing just a second ago the wall of worry. Um, you can just run them down right now. Look at the ten-year; those yields rising forty basis points in September alone. The dollar up over two and a quarter percent in September. Also, uh, oil prices rising five bucks a barrel this month alone. Which one are you focused on the most right now?
3: I, I think rates are the biggest story right now. If the ten-year keeps going and it's a, a, a rate of change as we've seen to four and a half to to the five, then the market's going to take that and, and it's going to be, it's not going to like it. Um, we could see forty-two hundred in the. S&P. I'm watching that as, as my line in the sand. We stay above 4,200, and I, I look at the futures levels, so that there's a reminder, that's what I'm watching there. And if it stays, I'm looking at it as a measured downside into 4,200. So to echo what you said, it's it's, you know, look at the bottoms up. Get the names on your list that you want to own and this is your time as we move out of this seasonally slow, seasonally weak time of year and we prepare for the quarter four. And I think quarter, quarter four is going to be strong. It, and it, it's We see these hurdles and you forget about it and you get lost in the trees, but, but know your story, know what you're looking for, and that measured downside is my story.
1: All right, Shannon, coming over to you. I mean, how are you thinking about rates right now? just looking at a note released by Vital Knowledge just a short time ago saying the Treasuries are basically caught up in a momentum trade and Adam Christopher. Cifoli and his team expect them to go back down unless there's some other data points that keeps them elevated.
0: Well, I think coming into this uh, sh- potential shutdown scenario, Frank, is certainly uh, not all that beneficial given the setup that Joe just outlined where we are in the course of the year. Concerns about um, continued policy questions. I mean, this is a example of, you know, looking outside of the US and one of the, the maybe the rationale historically for not investing outside of the US was sort of this uncertainty of policy and I would say that that's come home to roost here in DC and so if you're looking at um, these you know short of sh- short-term tactical overhangs um, what it speaks to us is that we should really be looking at quality um, and I think that one of the, the the divergence if you will that Joe cited is incredibly important in this marketplace because there are going to be companies, there are going to be markets, um, there are going to be uh, geographies, if you will, that are just structurally better to withstand this higher rate for longer environment, which is something that we haven't, have not been anticipating. And so I think it's, it's difficult right now if you're attempting to rotate your portfolio and oscillating based on what's happen, happening with either the two-year or the ten-year, for that matter, um, because I think it's difficult at this juncture to have a a clear uh, a clear view, if you will, or evaluation of where that's going to be. What I'm, what I think we need, are looking at is in terms of setting up for 2024. Where are there potential opportunities? for companies to differentiate themselves either in the equity market or on the credit side uh, where they show that they are better prepared, if you will, for this environment. And I think that's where you're going to start to see the true divergence. And I think that that comes about provided we get past this shutdown and provided that we see some resolution in the UAW strike.
1: Okay. Getting past the shutdown and resolution, two big questions. Josh Brown, coming over to you. Uh, again, 10-year yielded over four and a half percent.
4: I think what's important is that uh, real rates are are extremely positive by like over 200 basis points. Real rates are important because that's the post-inflation return that investors are getting when they're buying bonds here. And it's been a really long time since there were anything to write home about. And no matter what anyone says about the big picture or the long term or blah, 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 when people are able to earn positive real rates. On risk-free assets like treasuries, um, they are going to represent a headwind for stocks. They are absolutely going to serve as uh, competition for continued flows, and we should not expect this time to be any different than the last, you know, few times that were the case. If you think about what's going on with the curve, and I, I agree with Bill, the whole show right now is rates. The short end is actually unchanged. Pull up um, for the for you know the the, the retail investors. Pull up. SHY ETF, this is the one to three-year Treasury. As you can see, it's been trying to bottom since November of last year. It seems stuck at the pin to these levels. There might be one more rate hike in November, there might not, but either way, uh, that might be bottoming here. The longer durations are not bottoming. The 30-year is up 12 basis points. The 20-year is up 12. The 10-year is up another 10. We're still seeing a lot of movement at the intermediate to longer end of the curve. This is normal. We should be steepening. We should be coming out of this inverted yield curve at this point, and slowly but surely we are. It's one of the longest periods of inversion ever. But that, it's not trading the macro to suggest like, okay, there's a lot of action happening in bonds and it's happening really quickly, and that is introducing uncertainty to the stock market. Like I feel that that's what a 17, 18 VIX is expressing. That's what a rising dollar is expressing. The amount of uncertainty is ticking up. And by the way, even in um, FOMC uh, terms, you're now seeing an uptick in uh, the amount of people who think there will be no hike in November because of all this uncertainty that's coming out of, we had earnings revisions downward last week. We had the 17th straight month of uh, leading indicator a uh, uh, leading economic in, uh, index declining. So we're in a situation where uncertainty is back. I think we're seeing that reflected everywhere. And I think people need to understand whether they want to be a macro expert or not. It's going to have short-term ramifications
1: on their investments. All right, so everybody's in agreement. Frank, I mean, there, there's, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Shannon.
0: Yeah, I was just going to add to Josh's point. I think it's really important. Even Powell in his press conference said, whether we go in November or not, it really doesn't matter. And I think that's the important piece. The two year, to Josh's point, is fairly well anchored. And so I think everyone should be looking out sort of into 24 and 25 from a rates perspective. This near term, you know, from here to the end of the year, should not be the focus for investors at this juncture.
1: All right, so I know you want to look ahead to 2024. I think we also have to look to the end of just this week, the looming government shutdown. RBC out with a note. Uh, I want to run, bounce off, off of all of you right now. So RBC says, in part, U.S. equities tend to be turbulent heading into extended government shutdowns, but half the typical damage has already been done since July. RBC goes on to say, U.S. equity markets have tended to rebound meaningfully after the pullbacks associated with extended shutdowns, with 12-month forward gains of 18 to 19% on an average and median basis. Joe, I want to come over to you. Are you expecting a similar setup here? Again, we have this looming government shutdown deadline on Saturday. Both sides of the aisle expect there to be a shutdown at least of a few days.
2: So I don't know how much is priced in already. Um, and i'm not sure i agree with you know looking forward that you're gonna get that type of return um... i think what's is important is if in fact the market is going to steady itself from what has been a volatile and down quarter it's going to do it because earnings in the month of october will come in better than expected and that will steady the market and allow uh, for us to rally and resume the prevailing bull trend into the end of the year i think you can be you can be right, but sometimes you can be early. And to, to Josh's comments, which, which I largely agree with, there are conditions right now that overwhelmingly are a challenge to an investor with a portfolio and even for someone that's trading. But I think a lot of those challenges, the real effect of them, might come over the next nine to 12 months. I think that there is the potential that earnings are just good enough to kind of lift us through the end of this year. And and I think that's important for for everyone to understand because I think you're trying to understand what's going on right now in the bond market, which is the lead story, and say to yourself, how long is that headwind going to persist for? And I don't see that headwind uh, diminishing any
1: time over the next nine months. I just want to be clear, RBC believes that a lot of the disruption of the shutdown is already priced in. You're saying that's just not clear?
2: I don't know how anyone quantifies that. Um, I, I, you, know, it's, you could always make the argument that this time could be different. If in fact on Friday there is a government shutdown, how do we know where markets are going to go, how they're going to respond from that? I'm not sure that I agree with that. And I'm not sure if I'm watching the show today and I'm saying, okay, on the other side of that, I know statistically I'm going to get a very strong return. Therefore, I'm going to utilize that as a catalyst to be investing in the market. I, I, I don't have confidence in that. I have confidence in if you're investing for the fourth quarter and you believe the fourth quarter is going to be strong, then you have to tell me that earnings. Are also going to come in above estimates. All right, Bill.
3: Yeah, I, I think what RBC's saying here too is, as you take a step back to July, it, and the credit rating was downgraded, uh, that was really kind of playing this out, playing everything that we're working through in that divided Congress, in that right now, it's not a good situation, but. I think once we kind of work through this and the seasonality lines up well for it, and thats I like what RBC's saying here. I think you, gotta, you have to use these opportunities, and this lines back with what I was talking about, a measured downside. You take a step back, you evaluate the market, and we're three to 4% away from that measured downside. You're not gonna pick a bottom, but if we hold above 4,200, the probabilities say that we had a great first half of the year that's going to carry into the quarter four, and that's what I have to prepare for right now. I'm also, you know, to that two-year yield everybody's been mentioning, it's actually the prices are positive today. I'm watching the futures. The prices are positive. I mean, that yield's coming down just a slight bit. I'm actually making a little bit of a trade on the futures there to, for the two-year, thinking the yields can come down. So if that's the case, if that happens here and, and we can actually work through this week with the two-year yield coming down, I think we could
1: have a good good finish to the, to the quarter. All right, Josh, coming over to you. I mean, Joe's a little skeptical. Is that fair to say about this research? You're not really Highly sure? doubtful. Doubtful. There you go. Uh, Bill believes there may be some merit to it. Where do you land when it comes to all this?
4: Well, I, I, I agree with Joe insofar as how do you quantify it? Like, you, How do you quantify like the amount of—you uh, could look at the VIX, but like, how can you really tell whether or not we've seen the full extent of how worried people will be? If we have another one of these shutdown episodes, so to Joe's point, like there's no way to really definitively say that. You could try to handicap it, I suppose. You know, there are more foolish games you could play than that, um, but but I don't play those games. I I, I think the, the the big thing is it's really hard to scare investors with the same thing twice. So most people managing money that are I, I don't mean like traders at home, but like most people on Wall Street managing money. Currently, large pools of capital were around in 2011, and they remember how much fear there was in the market leading up to that uh, shutdown. But the other thing that they remember, or they can look up if they forgot, is that actually when S&P downgraded the U.S. Treasury for the first time ever, the reaction was that Treasury bonds went up in price. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to have that be the history just, you know, 12, 13 years ago and now to say, oh, we're going to have like an even greater bout of fear when that's the institutional, you know, muscle memory. So I'm not really terribly concerned about that. What you should be more concerned about is the fact that last week for the first time in a few weeks, actually um, earnings estimates ticked lower. So part of the narrative for the great market environment in July was that earnings were better than feared and actually estimates are starting to tick back up. Last week, that went into reverse. I'd be way more concerned with that than political speeches. Yeah. All
1: right. Let's move on to some committee moves. Bill, I'm going to come back over to you. You've been adding to some of your tech positions. You also got out of one position. Give us a, a sense of the moves you're making.
3: Yeah, we've uh, prepared. I, I was on the show through much of July, talking about this seasonality that we're heading into, and we used that as an opportunity to monetize that first half of the year that we had. We sold, we trimmed a, a lot of tech. We netted. Raising cash of 10%, uh, so I'm really just been eating back into those names a bit. I've, I've added to Apple a couple times, trying to get it back to you know equal weight in, the, in, in my in my portfolio to the to the, say the S&P 500. I still have a little bit ways to go. Uh, it's it's tied as our top name with Amazon. I've been nibbling back into to Amazon. I expect to do that again here, maybe at the end of the week or maybe maybe next week or so. Uh, we put Adobe back on, uh, and I, then I added a, get a little bit to that. I, I like where they are in the AI. So I'm looking at these tech names and the fact that that the market has come down. I'm, I'm using this as an opportunity. And this, again, I, I echo it, is, is the measured downside because I'm looking at you know, this is my area. This is what I want to put cash to work. Now, I, I have been on the show quite a bit talking about Pioneer Natural Resources, and that was one that we increased positioning in. And, and it topped out September 5th. That was ex-dividend date. And I didn't like how it just, just reversed from there. So we still own Pioneer, but I did trim it. Um, I actually kind of swapped out and, 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 and increased the positioning in, in uh, AT&T. You
1: know, before we go back to energy or go-to energy, I should say. I want, I want to focus on this tech trade for a second. Um, some news related to Amazon today, their investment in Anthropic. Does that give you more conviction about this name? And it's really high valuation. You mentioned the markets come down. Amazon certainly hasn't. 62 times forward earning?
3: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It's one of the most expensive names out there in, in the s and I mean, for, for, for its weighting, really, too, from that relativity. Um, I, I think that uh, it, they were behind the curve in the AI in many ways, and this kind of helps get them in line. It's, it's a step in the right direction. So I think it's a reason for, for Amazon uh, to get further tailwinds. I, 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 like, I like where they're going there, and, and that kind of lines up with what I'm seeing in adding to Adobe. I'm moving away from, from the, the picks and shovels, so to speak, of, of the AI, and where are we see software capitalized on AI and in other places that that haven't yet capitalized.
1: All right, so I want to touch on some of your other moves, uh, Joe. You also own Apple and Meta. Uh, how are you feeling about the tech trade right now? So when I think about the mega
2: caps, I think that they have the highest potential. Uh, to offer an investor the resiliency that's needed in a higher for longer rate environment. And I think you kind of analyze your areas of confidence within the market, non-profitable technology and consumer discretionary. No, that's not where I want to be right now because I think there's significant challenges as you look ahead. I think it's reflected in what the Russell 2000 is doing right now. So I do, uh, listen, I'll acknowledge it. There are very few areas of the market where you could find high degrees of confidence. You could find it in energy and i believe you could also find it in the balance sheet strength of these mega cap companies and
1: that's where um, on the stock selection side i'm leaning towards all right josh what about you you own apple uh shares down six percent in the month of september obviously on a lot of china news how do you feel about that investment in apple right now and then with that ever grand news today continued worries about consumer spending in china
4: Yeah, I think Apple is such a large company and operating in so many places on on the planet and involved in so many verticals, there'll always be a reason to worry. Um, But I've held the stock forever and a day. I have no plans on changing that stance at all. Um, Nothing fundamental about the company has changed. Lots of new and interesting areas that they're focused on over the next five to ten years I don't really worry about the next five to 10 days. So um, my position in Apple is
1: uh, as solid as ever. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, fair point. Shares of Apple, 1%. Shan, I want to come over to you. Uh, We keep talking about the volatility. The VIX started the month at 13. Now it's at 17. We have, obviously, that wall of worry we keep mentioning, rising rates, rising oil, rising dollar. How does that make you feel about the tech trade right now?
0: Well, i think both joe and josh made great points because i i think one of the things that you have to remember is that first of all this you know perceived weakness in tech as of late that's the, a lot of that is apple right if you look at the underlying you know numbers if you think about what's the expectation for earnings season over the next couple of quarters there's been a lot of emphasis on the fact that we're going to see um, a deterioration in top line due to the fact that we're experiencing disinflation and so from a nominal perspective on revenue you're going to see that pressure and so I you know in addition to strength of balance sheet earnings quality long long the strong if you will trade I think one of the things to think about tech is that there's really no reason especially if we're not seeing a significant decline in enterprise spend we've experienced the weakness from an ad perspective already so that's priced in i would think to these names so really you're, the, the, the challenge is valuation. Um, and so again, being selective about those companies in the tech trade, that could potentially grow that top line more than other uh, other parts of the tech sector. I think you just have to be very, very careful. And finally, understanding who's going to be on the front edge of, of AI and who can monetize that in 2024, because all of these companies are going to eventually benefit from AI. Who can do it sooner and therefore justify some of the multiple expansion in this higher rate environment?
1: All right. Speaking of AI, as we mentioned, Amazon shares up almost 2% on that news. They invested in Anthropic. And then on Friday on my show, Worldwide Exchange, we're going to interview the CEO of SAP, another company that's invested in Anthropic. We're going to talk all about their AI strategy. That's Friday on Worldwide Exchange. All right, coming up next here on Halftime, we've got to focus on today. A sneaker peak, one of the worst discretionary stocks over the last three months, getting downgraded ahead of earnings this week. One of our committee members, it owns this stock, and we're going to find out if they're sticking with that name in our call of the day. we got Halftime coming back in two minutes. Shares down 17% over the last three months. As you can see, the Dow moving into positive territory. Welcome back to halftime. It's now time for our call today. It's Nike, downgraded to hold from Buy at Jefferies ahead of earnings on Thursday. Shares are down 11 percent in September alone. Joe, you own this one.
2: Well, let me be clear. This is in the quality momentum strategy, so it is a position held in the JOT ETF. It's a position that was put into the ETF back in the spring of this year. It went into the ETF. It was really a more of a reaction to the positive momentum that Nike experienced off of last October's low through the spring. Um, I've spoken over the last several weeks about the fundamental deterioration that you're seeing for the business, the challenges that they have as it relates to China. They're going to report earnings this Thursday after the bell. We'll learn a little bit more as far as what we do with the position. On October 31st, we'll find out if it's a trick or if it's a treat. Uh, we all know what it looks like from a technical perspective. Perspective right now, but I think overall what's important to understand is when you think about apparel and footwear, think about the entirety of the category, it is clearly right now up against some significant challenges. And the challenges come in the form of a consumer that clearly has to be more cost conscious. The evidence to that is the back to school season athletic footwear had a disappointing back-to-school season. Generally, when you have disappointment in the back-to-school season, that means you have a lot of promotions heading into the holiday season. The holiday season sets up the disappointment as well. So I think the entire category of apparel and footwear is really going to have some difficulties as we move towards the end of the year. And Nike's been nothing more than a proxy for that over the last couple of months.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the stock being under pressure in September had a few price target cuts Wells Fargo last week from 130 down to 120 HSBC from 120 down to 113 but I just want to put this in context the mean price target on the street is 123. Stock's trading at about 90 bucks right now. That's still an upside of more than 30%. So with so much, I mean, your point was, is...
2: Yeah, but let's remember, Frank, this began in the spring with Foot Locker. So if you could right. pull up a chart of Foot Locker, you'll see it had two significant gaps, one in the spring and then one again in the middle of the summer. Why? Because Foot Locker was telegraphing the type of weakness that we're seeing currently and the weakness that's going to be coming
1: in coming quarters. And some of that weakness is also coming from Foot Locker transparency its business. I mean, it's closing stores.
2: I think it's fair. But listen, the word you never want to hear if you are a retailer in apparel and footwear is promotions. And there's going to be heavy promotions to work off a lot of that inventory.
1: So, Shannon, coming over to you, I mean, there's obviously a lot of talk about the consumer being very much stretched right now. Um, We are going into the holiday season. Do you expect Nike's sales to continue to be under pressure, deep discounting, as, as Joe's trying to point out right now?
0: Well, I think Nike has been very much focused over the last couple of years in reducing the slippage in its business and so if you think about the direct-to-consumer business for Nike that's increasingly important because they don't have that intermediary and so the the margin recapture potentially from moving you know more of their business to direct con- to consumer it's important in that way. Secondly, even without that slippage to Joe's point we have a, a consumer who's likely to be um, very thoughtful um, and concerned coming into this holiday season and so if you look at some of the challenges that other retailers have expressed it's been a mismatch between you know what they have on the shelves and what what consumers are looking for and so i think inventories are going to be in focus but i think this direct-to-consumer aspect of the nike business is going to be increasingly important because it gives them an additional lever in terms of consumer demand and potentially could under, you know, uh, mitigate that, that longer term risk in terms of promotional activity.
1: So Josh, I wanna come over to you. I'm actually gonna bounce something off you. something new we're doing here at CNBC. It's today's big consumer number. This one's from Goldman Sachs. Uh, they say 3.63% that's where credit card losses currently stand. Goldman Sachs says credit card companies are racking up losses at the fastest pace since the great financial crisis. And they predict those losses will keep climbing through the end of 2024, maybe even into 2025. Something like that weigh on a Nike. Obviously, it has broad consumer you know, interest in general. This isn't lower income. It's not upper income. I think just everybody, just about everybody owns a pair of Nikes.
4: Yeah, Nike went through this period of time where their consumer was sitting at home with tons of stimulus dollars and not only buying Nikes, because they always buy Nikes, but buying them to collect, buying them to trade and then resell higher. That whole secondary market phenomenon has largely played itself out. It's kind of a mess right now. You go on and look at um, the prices that even some of like the highest uh, prestige pairs of of Nike's are going for. They're significantly off the 21 highs, that makes sense. They're being traded and bought and sold by the same people who are doing that with crypto and stocks on Robinhood and NFTs, et cetera. So that part of the market has cooled down, but Nike is, is solid and dependable away from that for the regular consumer. The real question is just like, at what point will people say, okay, it's cheap enough? Nike is a cheap stock, right? I think technically it's gonna break, by the way. I think it'll make a new low. Um, I think you can probably buy it at 80 bucks. And I'm just going on technicals there. But it's already cheap, so this is where things get tricky. Nike is 20 times enterprise value to EBITDA, a 28 PE, and a 21 forward PE. If you contrast that with the three, five, and 10 year median, um, the median EV to free cash flow valuation over the last three years is 42X. Uh, the five-year is 40, so this is a cheap stock. The question is, is it finished breaking down? There's nothing on the chart telling me that it's finished breaking down. So I think there's gonna be a huge opportunity to get along Nike. I think the pendulum just has to swing through normal valuation and get to like really cheap. Um, if you go back in history, Nike has never had two down years in a row other than one one episode, 1983 and 1984. The return in 1985 coming out of that was plus 80%. Nike was down 30% last year. If it goes out this year where it is, I think that's the opportunity. But you got some time and you have to wait. Unfortunately, I think you're going to get better prices later. So I would just hold off on doing anything here.
1: All right, Josh Brown calling for Nike to go all the way down to 80, saying it hasn't had two bad years since pre-Michael Jordan. Hmm. That was a while ago. All right, time now to get the headlines with Pippa Stevens. Pippa, what do you got? Hey,
6: hey, Frank, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez defiant today as he addressed his bribery indictment at a press conference. Menendez and his wife are being charged with accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes. The senator said the cash found in his home was from his personal savings, not bribe proceeds. Fellow Democrats have called for the senator's resignation, but Menendez says he is innocent.
7: I firmly believe that when all the facts are presented, not only will I be exonerated, but I still will be the New Jersey's senior senator.
6: President Biden announced new diplomatic relations with two Pacific Island nations, during a two-day summit with the region's leaders. The move comes as the administration works to counter China's influence in the region. The president said the relations with the Cook Islands and the UA would deepen cooperation in combating climate change, protect maritime borders, and maintain a free and open Indo-Pacific region. And the Pittsburgh Steelers charter plane made an emergency landing in Kansas City early this morning. Two journalists on board reported that the plane was experiencing an oil pressure failure in one of the engines. A team spokesperson posted on social media that everyone is safe and that the team will make the necessary plans to return home today. Frank, back to you.
1: Yeah, uh, given new meaning to a soft landing. Our Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. See you later. All right, straight ahead here on uh, Halftime Report, the energy sector rallying today and leading the S&P 500 this quarter. We're going to hear exclusively from the Chevron CEO and where he sees oil prices headed from here The trade next right here on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, you can see the market's fully in the green with the small caps leading the way. Welcome back to halftime. Right now we're talking energy stocks. They are leading the S&P 500 today. Crude oil trading right around 90 bucks a barrel after rallying nearly 30% since the end of June. Our Brian Sullivan just sat down with Chevron CEO Mike Worth and joins us now live from OKC. Brian.
8: Yeah, Frank, thanks very much. And by the way, you cover transports. FedEx's Fred Smith was just on stage and literally two seconds before we go live, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, David Solomon, walked just behind me. So if he comes back, maybe I'll try to grab him. I doubt that'll happen, but you never know. All right, let's go back to why we are here. And that is a topic I know that, that Joe likes talking about as well. And that, of course, is energy. To your point, Frank, 30% jump. So what exactly is going on? We've got these OPEC cuts. Saudis cutting a million barrels a day, extra Russians cutting as well. But I wanted to ask somebody who does this for a living. So we sat down with Chevron CEO and Chair Mike Worth, and I just simply said to him, Why is oil back to $90 a barrel? We've seen a global economy that is continuing to do pretty well. We've seen some production cutbacks in some of the OPEC countries uh, come on top of a market that was already showing some signs of tightening. And so it's fundamentally supply and demand. And uh, prices have been firming here for a number of weeks. And uh, I think the risks remain more to the
7: upside than to the downside.
8: Yeah, don't have to be an econ professor, right, to know that if you've got, listen, supplies are down, demand is up, and that's why the price is up. And shortly after he answered that question, I said to him, well, Mike, do you think that in the short, you know, next couple of weeks or next couple of months, we could hit $100 a barrel here and a little higher overseas? He simply answered yes. So the CEO of Chevron saying that $100 a barrel here is maybe won't happen, but it's not certainly out of the question. We had a panel earlier today, by the way, on stage, and he talked, Joe, maybe you can go to this, the frustration that he feels they've got all these positive fundamentals and yeah, the stocks are up, but the multiples are still well below historical averages because simply put, Frank, the oil and gas industry still can't get no love in a lot of parts of this market. So full interview tonight on Last Call with Chevron
1: CEO Mike Worth. Tune in. Now We're looking forward to that entire interview, as Brian mentioned, 7 o'clock tonight on Last Call. Our Brian Sullivan live in OKC. Always great to see you, Brian. Thanks. All right, Thank so he, he already called you out, Joe. I mean, you're on, the, you're on the hook right now. Chevron shares up 7% in the second half of the year. What's your take on what Mike Worth had to say?
2: Well, first of all, I think we are in an environment now where the supply to demand imbalance is not cyclical in its nature. I think it's secular. And I think that's why it's very important for the viewers to understand something. Coming into Q3, the spot price of oil for the year was lower. That's a dramatic surprise, okay? I don't think people realize that. Oil is up 27% in this quarter alone. So the entirety of the gains for the spot barrel of oil have come in this quarter. The same can be said for energy equities. Energy equities are up 11% in this quarter. So there's been a dramatic underperformance so far in the quarter when you measure the equities relative to the spot price of oil. Where we are right now at the spot price of oil is, if you own energy equities, I want you to take the price of oil off your screen. Don't look at the price of oil anymore, and I'll tell you why. Right now you have open interest in oil futures at the highest level since October of 2021. What does that tell me? That means the spotlight's on, everyone's looking for the opportunity in the futures market with oil. In addition to that, money managers which are basically hedge funds are holding their highest level of long positions since february of 2022 the start of the ukraine-russia war so what does that mean to me that means the spot price of oil is vulnerable to a correction i don't want the viewers to be distracted by a potential pullback in the spot price of oil, because that does nothing to change the fundamentals that are secular in its nature where you've got the supply the demand and balance and energy equities are the place to be for an extended period of time. Last point on that, why is the valuation treated so low? because energy equities have disappointed in so many cycles over the last several years. It's been boom and it's been bust. But I do believe the conditions right now as we see them, unless they are reversed through some dramatic domestic oil production, they are going to remain where supply
1: is not going to be enough to meet the demand. All right, so Bill, you own uh, Chevron as well, also Chenier, Marathon, SLB. Agree with what he's saying, agree with Mike Worth that we could see $100 a barrel oil?
3: Yeah, I, I think I think we could see that. I think there's a couple factors here. I mean, obviously, the the, the supply issue, you have Saudi Arabia, you know, holding back supply. But China is going to wake up. So I, I think there's tailwinds that are that are sort of pushing this up a bit from China. I think it's the, obviously the supply. Uh, but here in the U.S., I mean, the economy is let's be realistic. It is humming along. I mean, the demand for oil coming through this driving season has has been fairly well. Um, I, I like seeing it, and echoing what you said, you know, there's going to be volatility. I wouldn't be chasing crude oil at these levels um, as, as a trader, but I, I would expect that we're going to have some digestion of this gains. And and you don't want to focus on that. You want to use the opportunity if we do have a pullback to, I mean, Marathon Petroleum is, is trading at record highs, basically. And I mean, you want to be able to look at the names that you want. And um, I mean, Marathon to speak of is the U.S., the largest U.S. refiner. And I think we have a refining issue. Refining margins are, are hanging up pretty strongly. That's, that's a big catalyst. Um, so I, I, I think there's just a lot of Places to look within the space to capitalize in the coming six to
1: nine months. Shannon, how are you looking at the space? And actually, just to Joe's point about a pullback, we are coming off a negative week for WTI and Brent. Um, how are you viewing the energy space and the equities?
0: Well, I look at this more of a it, from a macro perspective, Frank. And so we're talking a lot here about what the ramifications are for um, energy producers, uh, for energy stocks. Um, I look at it in terms of if, if, if energy prices are rising at the pace that they have risen in this quarter. Um, and that's driven by a stronger and more robust economic outlook, um, then that can likely be digested across other sectors and industries. If it's being driven, and I and I agree in, in large part with what Joe was saying, by this structural and, and frankly, more than near-term structural, structural mismatch between supply and demand, you have to go back and think about this upcoming earnings season, these next couple of quarters, and think about the margin compression from um, energy you know, being up so much in this quarter from the first and second quarter. So I, I think it's, it's an important di- differentiation in terms of how do you feel about energy prices rising? Well, it depends on what they're indicating and whether that's growth-based or not.
1: All right. The at WTI right now up 30 percent over the last three months, up fractionally right now. Coming up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. And don't forget, we're only a few days away from CNBC's Delivering Alpha Investor Summit. It's a jam-packed lineup of top investors and business leaders, and it's not too late to register. Go to CNBCEvents.com slash Delivering Alpha. Halftime, we'll be back right after this. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli is here with his midday word. Mike, what are you looking
7: at? Uh, kind of half-hearted bounce attempt. I guess the question always when you've had a three straight down weeks and it's been about a 6% pullback is have we done enough? Is the market kind of stretched uh, to the downside enough to really make a bounce here? I think there's plenty to prove still for the market. Uh, one of is either tolerance for yields hot hovering up at this level or finally a bid entering the, the Treasury market that gives some relief from that front. So some of the stuff's rounding into place. You look at some of the indicators of the market being uh, oversold. Also interested to hear the Fed speak this week, not just because we always want to listen to it, but um, sometimes there's an effort by some members of the committee and some Fed folks to push against the market's prevailing impression of what just happened at the prior meeting and press conference. So that hasn't happened yet. I mean, basically right now in unison, people are saying, we still think the economy's strong. And I don't think the market wants to hear right now that the economy's really strong because we knew that going back a couple of months. That's not news to us. What's news to us now is, is it gonna slow to a sustainable level or are you gonna be happy to keep rates up even if the economy falters?
1: So a bit of a head scratcher for me, we're seeing the small caps, the best performer, they're generally the most interest rate sensitive. Why do you think today, out of, out of
7: all the indices, they're the best? I would just say because they led the way down and they have been uh, really under a tremendous amount of pressure. They have uh, really broken down on the charts. So to me, it's more about the, the sequencing of, uh, of the fact of which areas of the market are a little bit more oversold. All
1: right. Mike Santoli with his midday word. Mike, thank you very much. Straight ahead, Josh Brown making some big moves in his portfolio. We'll, we'll reveal the names and those trades after this very quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to Halftime. we got some more moves to hit. Josh, you just sold two of your positions.
4: Uh, yes, I sold Arista. It was a trade that I had put on. I thought that it had the ability to uh, follow on to the NVIDIA rally on uh, increased interest in AI. Um, it had great earnings. The stock is still right where I bought it. Um, but the trade is obviously not going anywhere, so I took it off for now. It's The stock will still be on my screen. I'll be following it. Um, ITA, same kind of thing. It's been on the verge of a technical breakout since February. 116, 117 had been resistance. It failed there like seven times. And by the end of August, it had failed again. Uh, So again, nothing much happened there. Uh, Just a situation where I thought maybe it would be better to regroup and uh, put myself in a position for new opportunities.
1: Yeah, ITA, also your Stock Summit pick. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Josh Brown uh, selling Arista, or Arista, I forget which way to say it, and also ITA and Aero Spence and Defense ETF. We've got Final Trades coming up next on Halftime, but first, a quick message as CNBC, CNBC celebrates Hispanic Heritage.
0: Given that it's Hispanic Heritage Month, one of my most profound mentors was uh, Justice Sotomayor. I was able to clerk for her when I graduated law school when she was on the second circuit. And I remember all that she taught me, not only from an academic, how to be a good lawyer standpoint, but from a human empathy standpoint. And really paying it forward is an important part of how we all partake in a community.
5: Following the Halftime Report podcast, what are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now.
1: Costco shares up fractionally, well, actually down right now. Uh, Earnings are tomorrow. Shannon, you're watching this one. What are you expecting?
0: Well, I I think that everyone's questioning the consumer. And it's going to be really important that Costco shows that they're continuing to see subscriber growth in terms of their members, but also that they're able to still capture sort of the middle of the store. And I think you could actually, they could actually benefit over the next couple of quarters in some trade down um, from some of the higher income households that shop at Costco in that middle of the store. Um, And so I think that those will be areas of emphasis for earnings tomorrow.
1: All right. A lot to watch there. Again, shares of Costco actually down almost a half a percent, but up over 20 percent year to date. All right. Time now for final trades. Josh, starting off with you.
4: I'm staying with IEO. I agree with most of the points that Joe made earlier in the show about energy equities versus spot oil prices. I think he'll be right about that. And I want to be there.
1: All right. Shannon, you're up next.
0: Consumer staples, uh, I think we're going to see a continued trade away from discretionary to to staples. And there is some brand power and pricing power within the staples segment. All
1: right, Bill, looks like we're revisiting one of your moves. Yeah, Adobe, this is where you got to
3: plant those seeds. We're trading in the $500 shelf here. This is going to be a a, a name in the thick of the AI, and they're a very high-quality SaaS company.
2: All right, Joe, you got the last word. Yes, in energy, there is clearly a supply to demand imbalance, not in oil, but in the refined products. Philip 66, PSX, trades at a ridiculous six times earning.
1: That's the trade going forward. I would be long. All right, that's going to do it for halftime. We've got the exchange starting right now. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.